Welcome to the London First Baptist Church podcast. This is the Sunday morning service of October the 2nd, 2022, from Pastor Brett Cottrell. John chapter 12, we're going to begin reading this morning in verse 20. There were some Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast. These then came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and began to ask him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew. Andrew Philip came and told Jesus. Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and it dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Heavenly Fathers, we approach your word this morning. I pray that you would teach us a little bit more about what it means to be a disciple, to follow our Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There are several concepts in this passage this morning that we are going to explore over the next several weeks. So if you realize as we're working our way through this that we aren't talking about everything this passage talks about this morning, trust me, we're going to get to it over the next few weeks. But what we're going to camp out this morning, first and foremost, is primarily found in verse 26. When Jesus says to us, if anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. This is where we're going to really hang out and begin to explore what it means to be a disciple. Now, this passage begins, and by the way, we are just moments, we are in the the days preceding Christ's crucifixion. These are the last few days of Jesus' life on this earth. And these two Greek followers, they're there for the feast. They are there for Passover. So these are Gentile, or these are Greek Jews who are coming to celebrate Passover. And they show up, and they, they want to see Jesus. They're inquiring about what it means to perhaps be a disciple. And Jesus responds with a couple of things. We don't really know if they ever got a chance to do this or not, but Jesus' response is essentially, listen, uh, it's great you want to be my disciple, but I'm on my way to die. And there's an inclination there, an indication there, that if you want to be a disciple of Christ, it's going to mean the same thing. And so we could say, Jesus is essentially saying to them, I'm on my way to the cross. If you want to be my disciple, you're going to have to follow me even to the cross. And he will say that very explicitly elsewhere in the Gospels. If you want to be my disciple, you have to be, he says, where I am. You have to go with me even to the cross. And where I am, there you have to be as well. And what we find is that discipleship, being a disciple of Jesus, part of the key portion of this discipleship process is seeing imitating being in the presence of Christ himself. It's watching, it's observing, and imitating. One way of perhaps thinking about discipleship, we we know that word means student. We talked about that last week, that a disciple was essentially at basic, its most basic meaning, it means to be a student, a learner. So any teacher or rabbi in that day would have had disciples, they would have had students, those who had committed themselves to follow that teacher around, learn from them, even to get to the point where they could sound like and pass for them. People could tell you were a disciple of this guy or that guy by how you talk. Oh, they sound like that guy. Well, they, oh, they're a disciple of that guy. So to be a disciple of Jesus would mean 
in their day and age that you could pass for the things you would say. They'd go, well, Jesus said that. That's exactly what he sounds like. But also what's happening here is that to be a disciple means that you are emulating, you're imitating, you're hanging out with wherever, the, wherever Jesus is, you are right there watching, observing, and doing what he did. In other words, like the coach did for me and showing me how to shoot a basketball all those years later. The word we might really more properly use today of discipleship is perhaps the word apprentice. An apprentice is someone who uh, commits himself to someone else to learn a skill, to learn a trade. Y'all ever gone up to Silver Dollar City and watch those guys make pottery from the, on the wheel? Those arts, those arts or, the, or the guys that blow the glass and make those incredible, incredibly beautiful things? Well, you don't learn how to blow glass or make pottery by reading a book. I mean, you can learn some techniques. You can learn some things about it. But how do you actually learn to do this? Well, you apprentice yourself to someone who shows you how to do it. You watch them do it, and you get your hands dirty, so to speak. And you get in the middle of that, and you try, and you practice, and you do it again, and you do it again, and you do it again, so people like me can walk in the store and go, ooh, that's cool. That, that's what happens. This is what it means to be a disciple. Now, disciples most definitely read and study. They pay attention, but it also means trying, serving, doing, speaking, moving, acting. If we were to watch someone do something, if we were to be like me going up to Silver Dollar City and watching a guy do the pottery, we go, oh, that's really nice, and we walk out and don't ever do anything about it, that's not a disciple, that's a spectator. And I wonder how many people in our churches this morning are spectators and not actually apprentices or actually disciples. Watching the glass blowers, watching the pottery guys from, uh, from like here, watching the guys who play basketball or whatever else for a living and watching them and observing them, might help us to know more about the sport or more about the art that's being involved, but it doesn't mean we're disciples. It just means we're spectators. Disciples actually get on the field. Disciples actually get behind the wheel. Disciples actually get behind all those instruments and put them to use. This is what it means to be an apprentice. This is what it means to be a disciple. This is why Paul, in his letters, will often say things like, imitate me. 1 Corinthians 4, 1 Corinthians 11, Philippians chapter 3, Philippians chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Paul repeatedly talks about imitating him, being like him, doing what he did. Now, I used to, I remember the first time I really began to process those, I thought, man, how can Paul be so confident, or even in my own mind, how can Paul be so arrogant as to tell people to live like he does? And then I began to realize through the years, well, the reason Paul is saying that is because Paul was raised in the environment of what it means to be a disciple is to imitate, to be an apprentice. This would have been how Paul learned. If you know a little bit about Paul's background, you know that he was, in fact, a student, a disciple of a guy named Gamaliel, a Jewish rabbi. And the way Paul would have learned the Jewish scriptures, the, Paul, the way Paul would have learned what it means to be, he was a Pharisee, the way he would have learned to do that would have been he would have hung out with Gamaliel and followed him. He would have listened to him and he would have imitated him. He would have apprenticed with him. That's how Paul would have learned. So this was not a new thing for Paul. So if Paul was going to learn that way, how was Paul going to teach one to be a disciple? He's going to do the same thing. The way that they learned in those days and age was not to sit simply in a classroom and, and look through a book as they said, I'm going to do this, you come alongside me. Yesterday, one of the things I had, I was on a team that went door to door. We just knocked on doors and tried to share the gospel. And I got to my team, I got to the way we were going, 
And it turned out we had about six of us on our team going to be knocking on doors in one of these um, neighborhoods of Hot Springs. And uh, the team member I was assigned with me was a nine-year-old boy. And my first thought was, what in the world is a nine-year-old boy doing signing up for door-to-door? <laughs> I would never have done that. I mean, I, if I was a nine-year-old boy do, being going on a mission trip, I might have signed up for a block party. Because then I could do missions by bouncing on the bounce house. But this kid, apparently several from his church, signed up to do door-to-door, to knock on doors. Now, the reality is this nine-year-old kid wasn't going to really talk a lot about it. Because you know what he was? What you and I would often be knocking on doors. Scared to death. So here's this nine-year-old boy walking around with a pastor who's a lot older than he is, knocking on doors. What did this day end up being? Well, we had a chance to talk to several people. But one thing that was kind of interesting is I, I, I was talking to him, asking him some questions, and we'd walk up to the door, and we'd see bikes out front, or we'd see, you know, we'd see a welcome mat that says, Nana and Papa's house. I said, so could, can, can you tell me about somebody who lives here? He goes, I don't know. I said, well, look at look what that says. What does that mean? He goes, oh, it means they're probably grandparents. We walked, into, we walked up to one house, and the garage door was all wide open, and they had like 15 bikes hanging on the wall. So what does that tell us about this house? They probably like biking. In fact, there was even a little flag on the front door. They had to get on a bike. <laughs> and by the end of the day, we're, every house we walk up to, he would go, oh, they like this, they like this. And he figured out how to pay attention to what was going on around him. That's called discipleship. I have no idea if I was going to do that, that nine-year-old, but I'm pretty excited to find out one of these days. He's got a lot to learn, but I was excited to see a nine-year-old boy want to do that. This is discipleship. This is what Paul was talking about when he said, imitate him. Now, preaching and teaching like this morning, these are God-ordained methods. Teaching, proclaiming, even me, you, you listening to a certain degree and hopefully taking notes and paying attention, giving instruction. This is part of what God has ordained. This is part of what God has said that we are to do as saints, as, as a church gathered. This is the way we proclaim the gospel. It's a crucial part of what we're doing this morning of knowing and following Christ. But much of New Testament discipleship is beyond just this. It is it, it takes place outside of the gathered time that we're here this morning doing. It takes place, much of discipleship does, outside on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, so to speak. It takes place when we work and when we serve, when we do things like the one-day mission trip yesterday, when we do things like fall festival here in a few weeks. It happens at those points of time when we work and we serve and we fellowship and we do ministry side by side. When those who have not done as much or those who are younger get to walk side by side with those who have been doing it for a while and learn what it looks like. This is discipleship. This is what it means to learn to, to do the things that Jesus did. The idea is this. There were those who walked with Jesus, who saw him do stuff, who saw how he interacted with people, who saw the things he did, who heard the things he said, and they in turn began to do those things. And then as they had people that followed them, they imitated them who imitated Jesus. And it, guess what? It's hopefully translated 2,000 years later as we are following those, imitating those who imitated those who imitated those who imitated those. And, well, there's, a lot, there's lots of imitations there. All patterned on the original. This is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. 
to be a, an apprentice, if you will. So as we worship together, even this morning, by the way, parents, grandparents, adults, we have children in our, in our, in our worship service. We have students in our, in our midst. And sometimes I hear people say, well, I don't know that my, my, my young kid is getting as much out of it as he might get somewhere else. Well, well maybe. But don't underestimate the value of, of a young person seeing mom, seeing dad, seeing grandfather, seeing grandmother value worship and, and, and the Scripture. I couldn't tell you too many sermons that I sat through when I was six, seven, or eight years old. I didn't keep those sermon notes. Actually, I didn't make those sermons. I didn't take those sermon notes. But you know what I do remember? I remember my mom and dad taking notes. I don't remember every song. Now, I will say this. We sang the old rugged cross this morning. And, you know, there are songs that you learn when you're a kid. And you may, you may not have noticed this, but maybe, at least I do anyway, from time to time, especially maybe when you're stressed or having a difficult day, or just feeling like you need the Lord, you find yourself kind of whistling or humming a tune. I love, and, I, and the truth is, I probably, I really enjoy singing much uh, of, of our modern songs. I, I really, that's probably primarily what I listen to nowadays. But you know what songs are running in my head when I'm really having a hard day and need to be picked up, so to speak? It's stuff like the old rugged cross I learned when I was six years old. And that tune's running through my mind. We remember things if not all the details, we remember what we've been, we, we remember the things demonstrated for us. There is value, Mom. There's value, Dad. There's value, Grandma, Grandpa. There's incredible value in our children and our grandchildren, great-grandchildren, looking at us and seeing us value and prize the God of our salvation. When they see us worshiping, when they see us singing with all our heart, and they see the, the looks on our faces, when we encounter the risen Lord in worship, when they see us valuing the Word of God and taking notes and studying it, those are invaluable lessons for our young people to learn. They need to see you do those things. That's one of the values of an intergenerational church like ours, is the opportunity to, to provide. That's a measure of discipleship this morning. Whether it's in a worship service or whether it's Doing door-to-door with a nine-year-old. Two key words here in verse 26 are really going to be important for us this morning. First of all, he says there in verse 26, if anyone serves me, that word serve is the word diakonai. It's where we get the word deacon from. And by the way, um, almost every time you see the word serve in the New Testament, it's the word diakonai. The word we get deacon from, and most time it's just talking about serving. Most time it's actually referring to the office of a deacon. It's not referring to a quote, deacon in this verse, it's referring to a servant. He says, if you want to serve me, and, and that word that we translate serve here, you, you may have remember we've talked about deacons in the past, it has the idea originally of, of waiting tables or, or of attending to a somebody. So and maybe in the way a home health care nurse serves a patient or in the way that a waiter serves a table. The idea of a deacon or the idea of serving here is to attend to someone. And you can't do that from across the county. <laughs> to serve someone in this sense, it means to be right there. So he says, if you're going to serve me, so if you're going to serve him, that means you've got to be there with him. He says, you've got to be where I'm at. To serve, to attend to Jesus means to be where he is at. That's why he's talking this way. And secondly, he says this, you have to follow me. 
Now, we, we talked a little bit about this last week. I don't want to rehash it, but to, to follow him means to uh, clearly you've got to accompany him. You've got to see what he's doing and go where he goes and step where he steps and all those things. We talked about that last week. This is what it means to be a disciple. He says to be where I'm at, to serve, you've got to be able to do, to do these things. So for the disciple to apprentice to Christ, if you will, it means that we stay near to him so that we can see him, so that we can imitate him, so that we can know what is non-essential, that we can know what we must do to be one of his. So this obviously begs the question, how can we do that? It's one thing for Peter and John and James to do that. They were right there. They could physically see Jesus. You and I don't have that privilege, do we, right now? You and I cannot watch him walk through this, do, this door and do exactly the way he did. So how do you and I this morning do these things? Let me suggest at least three things. First of all, look around the room. If you're watching online, sorry, maybe you can't do that this morning. You just have to trust you can see a couple of us on the aisleway here. Uh, the first way I want to suggest is this. Each other. Because if you are this morning a genuine believer, you have been reborn, as Jesus talks about in John chapter 3. You have received the new birth. You are now a member of God's family. You have the Spirit of Christ living in you. If the Spirit of Christ lives in you, Christ is with you. Christ is in you. And hopefully, as you live with Christ in you, other people see Christ through you. So one of the ways that we as Christians can, in fact, be discipled is to hang out with other Christians. Yeah, now, yes, I'll be the first to admit, not all of us do it real well. Some perhaps do it better than others. But that being said, where we're faulty or not, if you want to see people being little Christs, it is the church. Now, churches are faulty. Churches are, have, we have, we're sinners. We, we make mistakes. We, we still do all these things. But if there's a place on earth where you're most likely to get that, it's still going to be the church. There's an apprentice-like being with someone else quality to discipleship that cannot be forsaken. Now, I'm going I'm to I'm demonstrate this by one more thing here. When Satan wants to attack us, when Satan wants to defeat our discipleship, when Satan wants to undermine our faith, when Satan wants to draw us away from Christ, one of the very first things he will do is to try to get you to separate from the church. He will draw you away from the gathered together nature of believers. And why does Satan do that? Because he knows that being a disciple, essential to that is the idea of Christians being together. It's absolutely crucial. And so the, one of the very first things Satan will try to do is he will tell us you don't need them. They're just a bunch of sinners over there. They're a bunch of hypocrites anyway. You don't really need them. You can't learn anything from them. There's nothing good there. And there are faults. So there is bad things sometimes in the church. There are those who claim to be Christians who aren't. There are Christians who mess up. There's no doubt about any of that. But this is what Satan does. And sometimes it's reinforced. We, we miss a week. We miss a couple weeks. We think, well, I, I didn't really... Nothing changed in my life. I, I'm okay. I'm still who I was. I was, uh, saw a, a news story this week, and it was uh, talking about the city of Venice. You know, maybe you, you know about Venice. Venice is that famous Italian city that's essentially built on the water. Um, it's, it's, it's slowly sinking. 
actually, it's not even slowly sinking so much anymore. It's actually sinking pretty fast. And it was talking about all the technology they're doing trying to preserve the city of Venice. And the, one of the things that's really hurting them right now is this, that about five or six years ago, they changed how cruise ships and cargo ships come into the port there in Venice. And the, what they do now is they have this course that goes alongside a long seashore. And what they have, they have these massive sandbars in which, you know, vegetation grows. And that, what, this, what these sandbars, what they call them the sand marshes, what these things actually do is, in a natural way, is they protect the shoreline because they are barriers between the waves of the ocean crashing in and eroding the shoreline. But what's happening is this, with these big cruise ships coming through there, even though they're going relatively slow, these cruise ships create a lot of wave action. And it's a different type of wave action that happens from just normal, you know, coastal stuff. And so what happens is when these waves come through, they undermine uh, the, the sea marshes or the sand marshes, and they, they actually carve out the ground underneath it. And what happens over time is that those things collapse and eat away, and they've lost uh, a massive percentage of those sand marshes just in the last five or six years. Now, any one cruise ship doesn't seem to make much of a difference, but when those cruise ships go in and out on a regular basis, they just undermine that, and the ground is being eroded away, and the protection of the, of the coastline is being, is being torn away. Just because I stopped gathering with the believers for a week or two or in a month or so, maybe I don't notice too much, but every time we skip or forsake our relationships with the called-out people of God, another wave is undermining our lives. And maybe we don't notice it at first. Maybe we don't notice it after a couple of weeks. Maybe we don't even notice it after a month or two. But sooner or later, our walk with God, our discipleship, will be compromised and forsaken. So one element of discipleship is, that is crucial is to serve with, to worship with, to do missions with, to, to do study with God's people. To be willing to learn from and to even teach, to disciple, to be apprentices together and with one another. So one example was yesterday. Every Sunday morning is this opportunity. Fall festival is coming up here in a month. We have an opportunity to work together. I tell you what, there's very few things that cement our relationships with one another than serving God together. Witnessing together. Passing out food together. Loving people together. These things cement the relationships of God's people and are, in fact, enable us to be disciples of Jesus. Second of all, Scripture. And by the way, I, I'm, all three of these things again, we're going to address in more detail even later on during the course of this study. Scripture, God's revealed thoughts and words. You and I don't have the ability to sit down at Jesus' feet in the same way that Philip and Andrew did, or even Paul for that matter. But we do have the written down Word of God. So if I want to know what Jesus said, if I want to know what's on the heart of God, if I want to know what he is talking about, what's on his heart, I must spend time in Scripture. I need to understand it. I need to let the power of God work through it. I need Scripture. And again, much like I said with church, or with the gathered believers, maybe I miss some Scripture reading. Maybe I go a week. Maybe I go two. Maybe I even go a month. I don't think it's a big deal. But sooner or later, if I have abandoned God's Word in my daily life, I will find my discipleship compromised, deficient. Colossians 3, Philippians 4, Psalm 119. Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Knowing God's word, knowing the words of God is absolutely crucial 
for a disciple. Thirdly, prayer. When the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray, or to teach them to pray, Jesus didn't give them a little book and said, go for it. What did he do? He said, pray like this, and then he began to pray. We teach to pray not by giving, and listen, there's, again, there's value in getting a book. I, I've, I've learned things from books. I don't want to dismiss books. I don't want to dismiss teaching like this this morning. But you really want to learn how to pray, pray with someone who knows how to pray. This is why we pray Scripture. I think Scripture itself is a great teacher on how to pray. This is why we read Scripture and pray and talk to God in response to that. Jesus responded to that request by praying them. He took them with them to pray. Even the night before his crucifixion, he takes them out to the Garden of Gethsemane and says, pray with me. I'm going to go over here, but you guys pray. Now, they weren't paying attention because they went to sleep, but you see just what he's trying to do there. And by the way, sometimes we um, notice that Jesus prayed out loud a lot. We know some of the scriptures that talk about not, we, we hear Jesus criticize the Pharisees of his day about praying out loud. You know, he says, when you go to your prayer closet, don't, don't let the right, last left hand know what the right hand's doing. You, you pray in secret to God, that God, your Father in heaven, will know what you're saying. And sometimes we take that to mean that we aren't supposed to pray in public. That's not what he's talking about there. He's talking about our attitudes in prayer. And so sometimes we get so worried about Jesus' command to not be prideful in our prayer because he's criticizing a group of Pharisees who are praying not to talk to God. They're praying for the purpose of being noticed. I mean, their whole prayer is to make everyone else know how spiritual they are. That's not really praying. That's just being arrogant. So Jesus is obviously teaching against that, but he's not saying you can't pray in front of people. In fact, that's how we learn how to pray is by praying in front of people, letting them hear us and let them pray with us. So don't be afraid to pray in public because you can be self-centered and pray. You can pray out loud and be self-centered and wanting people to notice you, but if I refuse to pray in public because I don't want people to notice me, that's just as self-centered. I'm still, I'm still the object of the problem. Whether I think of myself as arrogant or I think of myself as, I don't want to be arrogant, I'm still the center of attention there. Don't fail to pray and to learn and to teach for these reasons. If we want to pray out loud because we think someone might think less of us, that's, a still, that's still a self-centered reason. That's a pride thing that we're dealing with there. So prayer, again, we're going to talk more about that in the coming weeks. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there he may be, there he needs to be. So how do we do that? We, we gather together. We spend time in Scripture. We pray. These are ways that we today can be where he is. Now, one more thing here. If we want to imitate Christ, being where he is, look at where Jesus was. Where did Jesus hang out? Who did he hang out with? What did he do? Where was Jesus, what was he doing? Where was he at before he went to his own death? Well, you know, more often than not, he's hanging out with the people no one else would hang out with. Even among his own disciples, he's got someone like Matthew, a tax collector, a, uh, someone that his own people perceived to be a traitor, an outcast, someone that no one else would want to have anything to do with. Men like Matthew, men like Zacchaeus, in fact, one of the things that Jesus got criticized for was that he actually went to the house and had dinner with people like Matthew and Zacchaeus. Now, 
we talked about this again last week. One of the other disciples is a guy named Simon. Simon, the zealot, had dedicated himself to killing guys like Matthew, and now they're both disciples of Jesus. Isn't that? There had to be some interesting discussions in that little discipleship group. You have guys who are fishermen. And, and listen, there's, in that day and age, fishermen are not on the higher rungs of society. They're relatively uneducated. Jesus had guys who were uneducated, outcasts, violent. These were the men he gathered together. He touched prostitutes. He hung out with traitors. You want to be like Christ? You want to be where he's at? You might need to be around some of these type of folks. The church should be with these types of people. We should be reaching out to these people. We should be among them. We should be taking the gospel to them. We should be ministering and serving them as Christ did. This is what it means to be in his presence. Even in Christ's birth, yes, you had the Magi, these great wealthy kingmakers, but the very first ones who worshipped Christ, the very first ones who proclaimed him as who he was, were shepherds, the absolute opposite of the Magi in every single way. So two questions for us this morning as we wrap things up. Are you where this morning Jesus is? Are you among his people? Are you in his word? Are you praying with him? Do you imitate his life? Do the practices of your daily existence mimic the things that we know Jesus said and did? That's one question this morning. But one more question is this. Does your life disciple others to do the same thing? Can you with Paul say to someone who doesn't know Christ or is a brand new believer, imitate me as I imitate him? Because this is the way it happens. Let me, let, me, let me show you this truth with you before we go. This morning, every single one of you, I don't care whether you're 10, 18, 38, 78, every one of us this morning is discipling right now somebody else every one of us every one of you myself included has someone who is learning and maybe even imitating us or is learning some truth about life because they've observed us you are right now discipling somebody you may it may be a friend it may be somebody you don't know sometimes students when those of you who are in school you may not realize there are other students watching you. You may not even know their name. Or you may sort of know who they are. They may be sitting on the opposite side of the cafeteria in your, at lunch. Maybe they're in the back of the classroom. But they're watching you. And you're discipling them whether you realize it or not. Mom and dad, you're doing the same thing. There's somebody at work looking at you, learning. The question is not whether you're making disciples, the question is, what kind of disciples are you making? That's the question this morning. Are you, this morning, where Jesus is? And what kind of disciples are you making?